0: You're listening to The John DiPietro Show. We start weekdays at 11. We go until 2. It's a.m. 1380, 909.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. Very number of uh, different stories in the news. One thing that I want to mention, and and this is just, I I think it's actually um, embarrassing that Rhode Island College is announcing that students have to go back to wearing masks uh, on the campus, in the different classrooms. They're going to require masks in classrooms. I think it is, um, I, I, I can't believe right now in in 2023 that we're actually dealing with this for the spring semester, the school announced on its website. It, it, one thing we learned about COVID was that it, it, it didn't affect young people. That was a good thing. So students are coming back from winter break. They feel Providence is a high transmission rate, but a high transmission rate among who? Again, they're going to do whatever they want, and then people make choices. I think it is um, because they're saying, you know, it's happening with Providence. It's, It's just hard to believe that right now, with everything we've learned from COVID, and plus for, you know, the amount of people you can get vaccinated and boosted and so forth, you're going to require the college students at Rhode Island College. Now, I know that they're not the only one is um, I had also seen, apparently, in UMass, it's the same thing. See, what this is, is the kids have been on winter break. I have a college student has been on winter break, goes back, you know, for spring semesters next week. So they're telling them when they come back. Now, you know, all you can think is that hopefully, maybe it would be um, just a short amount of time, uh, maybe till you even just get into February a little bit. But otherwise, it it it's hard, <clears throat> it's hard to believe everything we've learned about COVID. They're going to make the college students wear masks. The college students are the least impacted, affected. Governor McKee just did his inauguration ceremony and there was no one wearing a mask there. So now at the same time, I think a lot of that is actually dictated by faculty and various people that are are at the college. So now the latest with Anna Walsh. Well, there was a false alarm last night and I was following it as well. There was someone It was walking on, well, there's several different developments with the Anna Walsh, Brian Walsh case. One thing is police have, uh, they did confirm that apparently they do have video surveillance. Swamp Scott is a particular area of interest because that's where Brian Walsh's mother has a luxury apartment there. And that's where they towed the dumpster from her luxury apartment. Now, he was also apparently seen on video surveillance. There's a liquor store across the street next to a Whole Foods. It's interesting about this case is he keeps leading investigators to his path, so to speak. So he didn't go to the Whole Foods. He said he did. There's a CVS there. He said, yeah, he went to CVS. He didn't go to CVS. There's no record of that. They have video surveillance, uh, video and so forth, and he doesn't have any receipts. But anyhow, but they have him on video near... There's a dumpster at the liquor store. So... Again, um, so last night, there was a little bit of a false alarm. Someone who was walking on the beach at Swampscott, Fisherman's Beach, the dog, they found some bones. And it it lit up. Um, suddenly, you know, Twitter, social media, it was like right around 1030, maybe even a little bit before 1030, actually. But it, later into the night. So anyhow, the police immediately responded and apparently they determined that it was a pig's knee. But if you saw the photo that had been posted, it, it certainly could have been that of a human bone. But the reason why that is significant is because he not only told investigators and admitted that on New Year's Day, Brian Walsh now, that he was in Swampscott, but more importantly, because of his house arrest, He had permission, in fact, to be in Swampscott. So, now folks, this, you know, continues to be, it is a missing persons case. He is not out on bail. I'm shocked at some of the people. Is he out on bail? Out on bail? He's not out on bail. Then They're not letting him out. Um, And as I, I have said, that even if, in fact, he managed to make bail, He is essentially, by lying to the police, or misleading police, I should say, he um, violated the terms of his situation that he's on house arrest or home confinement. Let me hear, this is the um, Boston 25 piece about that she sold her condo the days leading up to New Year's.
1: Proceeds from the sale, (coughs) about $80,000. As we've been reporting, court documents from Brian Walsh's federal art fraud case indicate he was having financial difficulties and on the hook for more than $300,000 in
0: restitution.
1: I spoke to an individual involved in the real estate transaction. He tells me he contacted state police and shared all the details. For 25 Investigates, I'm Ted
0: Gaines. So, again, that is interesting. They sold that, but... I'm not sure how much it it plays in simply because he had been having obviously a lot of financial problems but they're they're looking at at everything they're also looking to try to um keep the the three boys together and some of her friends have are appealing for custody of the three brothers because right now they are in fact they're in state custody and I mean, it's hard to believe that it would actually potentially come out that they may separate them, but so Swampscott police, just to be clear, they did res- respond shortly after 10 o'clock and they went to the beach, but it turned out to be a pig's knee. But uh, apparently, but, but the the reason why that is important is just because of the terms of his house arrest, home confinement, where he, they were dealing, but dealing with um, a radio frequency. I know investigators said on New Year's Day, he claimed he left his cell phone. He couldn't find his cell phone. And then he claimed one of his sons took it and then he found it under a pillow. But what's interesting about that is he had to check in with where he was going. He he was gone for a pretty good amount of time. And so it, it seems to come back to I'm not saying it's the honor system, but it certainly doesn't, it's not like a GPS ankle bracelet where they know where he's going. Uh, Certainly loose, sounds like it's a home confinement designed for someone that because of the art forgery, they in fact did consider him um, a non-violent type of criminal. So, So right now they are testing what they found in in the Peabody transfer station now why that's also significant about the dumpster at the liquor store across the street from where his mother is why I believe that is also significant is just the fact that it would be the same route whoever took the dumpster would empty the trash at his mother's luxury apartment building in Swampscott it would be the same route and they would also get the dumpster at the liquor store Essentially, across the street next to the Whole Foods. So, so the question is, you know, is it possible? What they found at the Peabody transfer station. Apparently, they found a hatchet. They found some form of evidence. They think they found blood, human tissue, uh, a hacksaw, hacksaw. Is it possible that that came from the liquor store dumpster, and not the well? Either way. Maybe both, um, but but either way, that was significant that they have him. So again, he's put himself in that area in the surveillance video of him near a Swampscott dumpster on New Year's Day. So he was busy. You know, the police were questioning about why, in fact, it took him so long. And then that's why he said he got lost going to his mother's, even though it's a pretty short ride from... Cohasset to Swampscot it's it's more of the seemingly akin all right let me hear I think uh, Fox 25 Bob Ward has a story on this yes
2: Florin police have a key new piece of evidence Well, it's really interesting on the investigative front, uh, it's been kind of slow, right? Uh, But state police are still gathering evidence. They're waiting for a test result to come back from the crime lab before they take the next step. But uh, we have confirmed that state police are now in possession of video surveillance of Brian Walsh outside a dumpster in Swansgood near a liquor store, near a Whole Foods. That's the area where he said he was on January 1st, which is the day that Anna Walsh disappeared. So very interesting development there about the existence of this video surveillance of Brian Walsh near that dumpster. Meanwhile, out here in Cohasset, where Brian and Anna Walsh live, people here in this town are trying to come to terms with this, this disturbing case. The cozy south shore town of Cohasset is the kind of place outsiders might consider a New England seaside town would look like. But the mystery over Anna Walsh's disappearance and the arrest of her admitted con man husband Brian Walsh on a charge of lying to investigators is giving outsiders a different glimpse of Cohasset, and people here don't like it. Totally unexpected. You know, I've been here my entire life, 52 years, and I haven't seen anything like this before, so it's quite a shock. For nearly a full week, the Massachusetts State Police have been a constant, unsettling presence in Cohasset. They recently wrapped up a search of the family's rented home on Chief Justice Cushing Highway, as well as a massive search of woods in and around town. And then there was the fire Friday at the Walsh's previous home on Jerusalem Road that authorities say is not related to Anna's disappearance. All of it, a lot to process for this town of less than 9,000 residents. It leaves you speechless, really. I.
3: I... I can't wrap my brain around it.
2: At the heart of this is Anna Walsh herself. She's still missing. And after a week of heart-stopping headlines about hacksaws, transfer stations, internet searches, and a husband held on high bail, people here are unnerved and thinking about the secrets their neighbors keep.
4: It wasn't about the money for her, I don't think, because she was the breadwinner. But um, there are people, I guess, you never know what your next-door neighbor is capable of.
2: Meanwhile, across the ocean in Anna's native country of Serbia, concern grows. The Serbian consulate writing, we had a pleasure of meeting Anna in person, and we remember her as a lovely lady. Her disappearance has been a cause of a great concern for the Serbian community in the U.S., as well as for people back home. Now, there's one more member of the Walsh family that we have not heard about, and that is the family dog. Brian and Anna Walsh own a purebred German Shepherd. That dog is now homeless. Now. There is kind of a happy ending, I guess you could call it, to the story, and that is that that dog has been sent to the animal control shelter over in Braintree and is now in foster care. And the foster parents are a state police trooper who is not connected to this case and his family. So they're taking care of that dog at night. I'm told the dog has a great demeanor, answers commands in German. And uh, the troopers and the detectives that were working this case over the weekend, they just kind of fell in love with the dog. And they wanted to make sure that the Walsh dog was taken care of. So at least a a moment of a bright spot, I guess you would say, in this this tragedy that's been unfolding here in Cohasset, that the family dog at least is being taken care of. Reporting live from Cohasset tonight, I'm Bob Ward for your local station, Boston 25
0: News. All right. That is the latest. You're listening to The John DePietro Show. (music) it's propaneplus.com propaneplus call them 401 885 4209 you're listening to the John DiCaprio show i want to play we're following the uh, the other story one of the other stories that we're following we're obviously following a lot of them if you want to see some of the live Stream that we are doing. I'm. I. I just want to update people. They are saying that the FAA normally, air traffic, slowly, gradually, are going to, supposedly resume. They're looking into the the cause of it. But it is. Um. There's still seeming a lot of flights out there. All flights are asked to stay on the ground. But it's. Um. I also want to report the police confirm that the family dog is with them. So apparently the do- the police have the the family dog so i i know people have been asking me that which is amazing i i also saw on social media she got another new dog but i don't even want to open that up for fear that then people start asking where are both dogs all right i want to get to um boy those storms in california are unbelievable i have seeing some of the coverage on it i mean i know it it normally those that are familiar with southern california it's it's uh it does rain in january but nothing like like this it's it's very very dramatic the amount of uh, rain that they've had now let me uh let's see the situation regarding the idaho murder here we Brian go
2: Kober, the suspect is due in court tomorrow students return to classes and investigators share new details about what he was doing before his arrest mola langie joins with the details good morning
1: mola good morning, George. Those new details are shedding light on how investigators say they were able to link Koberger, the 28-year-old Ph.D. student, directly to the crime scene and the murder weapon. This morning, as the suspect accused of murdering four University of students prepares to head back to court, new details emerging about Brian Coberger's actions before his arrest. ABC News learning from a law enforcement source that federal investigators observed him in Pennsylvania around 4 a.m. as he discarded garbage in his neighbor's trash bin just days before his arrest. Trash ending up being key in the case. Police linking Koberger to the murders by collecting his father's DNA from trash outside the family home and matching that to DNA they say they discovered on the button snap of a knife sheath that was on the bed next to the body of victim Madison Mogan.
4: If I had one or two words to describe Maddie May, it would be just an, an angel and that she was she just made me proud. Ben Mogan,
1: speaking about his daughter Madison to ABC News and describing the moment law enforcement told him they'd made an arrest in the case. He said, Ben, this is the day that we've been waiting for. Ben, also describing his emotions while reading the evidence law enforcement say they
4: had gathered against Koberger. I just, I broke down and I just, uh, I just cried. I could only take so much of that and I just, uh, I I cried. I still haven't read the rest of it.
1: The police affidavit claiming investigators believe the four college students were killed between 4 a.m. and 4.25 a.m. They say one of the surviving roommates was awake at the time of the murders and told police she witnessed the intruder seeing a masked man coming toward her before he walked out through a sliding glass door, the roommate then locking her door. Police say later that morning, the two surviving roommates called friends to the house because they thought one of the victims had simply passed out and wasn't waking up. The 911 call finally coming around noon. Officials say the two surviving roommates are not suspects. Overnight, Kaylee Gonzalez's sister, Olivia, saying Kaylee and Madison did everything right that night.
3: They went out together. They called for a ride. They went to a known establishment. They did everything you would want your daughter or your sister to do in that situation. You're supposed to grow up together. That's your God given best friend. And so we're
4: left with not only missing them and exactly who they were, but wondering who they were going to become.
0: Oh, you know, boy. Folks, in this uh, 2023, I mean, we're already dealing with, um, I mean, two very high profile, brutal. Well, several brutal murders the four students Now, granted that happened in november but they didn't you know catch him until it's all the details are still coming out on that and then obviously the situation with anna walsh that did not it certainly doesn't sound good um and and right now you know we we don't know where things stand with they were searching another area yesterday but apparently they they came up short so now i think this is interesting we will talk with our legal expert attorney tim dodd coming up uh tomorrow but i think like right now do they do would they have enough to charge him with murder and based on what they had i like some of the quotes about brian walsh he assumed a mantle of entitlement he sounds like and he was he was diagnosed as a, a sociopath so uh, his complete absolutely complete disregard for everyone around him a rug containing evidence believed to be human tissue and blood was recovered along with a hatchet and a hacksaw now that was the stuff that i believe that he dumped on new year's day and then he went to the home depot on new year's day and then seemingly you know then got the part of the tools he needed in order to um you know then whatever he i hate to say that but it, it is true but whatever he did with whatever he did with the body um and then she has you know that that becomes a big question let me hear this is uh fox 25 in boston they've done a good job on this i think we have some sound on this we we do have some sound on this here we go
1: in the days after Anna was last seen. Anchor and investigative reporter Kerry Kavanaugh continues our team coverage now, piecing together where investigators believe he was and what he was doing New Year's week.
4: Brian Walsh reported his wife missing to police Wednesday, January 4th, the same day as Anna Walsh's employer. Walsh allegedly told investigators that on New Year's Day he got up around 7 a.m. He claims around then his wife Anna kissed him goodbye and headed to Logan Airport for her flight to D.C., But according to investigators, from there, his stories weren't adding up. Due to Brian Walsh's house arrest and a GPS tracker from another criminal case, investigators say he requested various leaves for the week of January 1st during the morning and afternoon hours to drop and pick up his kids from school. Investigators say his cell phone was detected in Brockton and Abington during that week, but he had not obtained permission to be in either town. On Sunday, January 1st, they say Walsh, who lives in Cohasset, requested travel between 3 and 9 p.m. to take his mom back to her swamps get home. But he claimed he got lost and took an unusual route. On Monday, January 2nd, there was no school because of the holiday, but investigators say Walsh was seen on video at the Home Depot in Rockland wearing a black surgical mask and blue surgical gloves, making a cash transaction. We now know he purchased hundreds of dollars in cleaning supplies. He also requested time to go shopping midday on January 4th, but police didn't specify his alleged whereabouts on that day, other than when they questioned him at home that night. We know police have been searching the trail that trash would have taken from Swampscott dumpsters to a trash site in Peabody, locating key evidence tied to the disappearance of Anna Walsh. On Sunday, we know Walsh was under arrest at the Cohasset Police Department, charged with misleading an investigation. And he faced a judge on Monday and was ordered held on $500,000 bail. For 25 Investigates, I'm Kerry Kavanaugh.
0: You know, what's interesting is, as I'm listening to that, I'm pretty sure that on New Year's Day, he said he couldn't find his cell phone. And then he said he found it, one of his kids had taken and put it under their pillow. So they were able to track him because of the cell phone. And then, then they were questioning him, like, where he went. But if that's the case, then see the, the key piece here, folks. And again, you're listening to the John DePietro show. The, the key element here is where was he? So he went to the Home Depot um, on January 2nd, right? New Year's Day is a Sunday. New Year's Eve, Saturday. New Year's Day, Sunday. Monday, January 2nd, Brian Walsh goes to the Home Depot in Rockland. Approximately four o'clock. So the question to me is, where was he Monday night, January 2nd, and Tuesday, January 3rd? Now, if he is able to go in and out, and it almost sounds like, I I hate this, but it's almost like an honor system a little bit. He's supposed to ask for permission, and if he wanders off, but then you just want, that's the key piece that's missing here. Where did he go? that monday night and if he was going online and researching how to do some of this stuff which it sounds like he was doing that's what made you know we don't know there's as i've said you know there's a lot of water around there but i've never googled what do you do how do you get rid of someone so we don't know if there's something about that with the the dumpsters or it's tough to tell where did he travel that monday and into tuesday we also don't know i'm gonna say like that monday night overnight and i'm just trying to if you were gonna do this right wouldn't you you'd wait till like 11 o'clock midnight it's dark out not a lot of people out go do whatever you're he's really i hate to say that but getting rid of the the wife's body but i think it it also i i don't think you'll wait till tuesday but who knows with this guy i think you'd then just do it the monday night and then tuesday he spends cleaning and then wednesday he's ready to report that that she's missing all right much more ahead you're listening to the john DePietro show for over 125 years ameriprise financial has provided advice for clients unique goals help millions of americans retire on their terms now as we're at the end of the year beginning of a new year why not take advantage of our free consultation call tom bryan today ameriprise financial 401-434 1510 Offices located 400 Massasoit Avenue in East Providence put the strength of a leader in retirement planning to work for for you through a personal one-on-one relationship. Call Tom Bryan today, Ameriprise Financial Advisors, 401-434-1510. Get solid advice. Get a plan, whether it's for yourself, you and a spouse, maybe your children or grandchildren. Take advantage of this free consultation ameriprise financial 401-434-1510 call right now 401-434-1510 tom bryan ameriprise financial advisors to the john dipetro show weekdays we start at 11 we go until 2 it's a.m 1380 99.9 fm you can always listen online at the website dipetro.com joining us right now with the boston globe he is columnist dan mcgowan and dan mcgowan uh the boston globe as we're speaking in in, uh, we'll, we'll talk about. Obviously, I, there's a lot I want to talk about. But first thing is this uh, this outage that, that all flights are grounded. I, I, I mean, I I could be wrong. I, I think the last time that happened was was on September 11th.
3: That's what I, that's exactly what I have in my head right now. That I'm thinking that that was probably the last time. And uh, you know, it, it, this is bizarre, and we're not getting. a ton- Ton of information no. just yet about you know, exactly what's happening, and you know, usually you'd think that when that kind of thing happens, uh, when you're not getting when, it, when it's very quiet, you start to think like, oh, maybe there's national security kind of saying something like that. Um, but we have no clue yet, and no. to be honest, selfishly, I'm flying to Florida in a couple of days, and I'm hoping that I can do that. Yeah, still, but uh, you know, potentially by the time. Uh, You know, by this afternoon or something, we might get more, and it might everything. It could just be an actual glitch, but I've never seen anything like this. uh, You know, with with the airports, other than 9-11 and you think, you know, just right after coming off a very turbulent, uh, you know, period with you know, holiday, Christmas to New
0: Year's, a nightmare for those people traveling.
3: Complete nightmare. Yeah.
0: We, we, we don't know what it is. I want to start off, if you don't mind, and um, I'll, I'll tell you, the, I love the fact that you were in Johnston, uh, wrote a column being with father and son. I think the new mayor of Johnston, I, I find him very impressive. I, I obviously, I like the father a lot, uh, but Joe Polisseni Jr., I, you know, I, I also have seen the wife in court. His wife is a, a public defender. Yep. I, I think, Dan McGowan, you have been, you were with this is someone to me at some point being the governor of the state. Yeah, I mean, I
3: think he certainly, he's not even hiding the fact that he certainly is politically ambitious. Uh, and, you know, you're talking about a 32-year-old guy, lawyer who, you know, has credibility kind of on both sides of the aisle and worked for Alan Fung as a Republican, uh, you know, had a more turbulent experience working for Governor McKee, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, but, you know, he, he's a soft, he's a lot different than his dad, right? <laughs> he's soft-spoken, he's sort of, uh, you know, I, I think even he would, I think even his dad would say, a little more cere- cerebral in the sense that, you know, you're, you're, you're trained as a lawyer, you know, sure. you, kind, you kind of think things can be, resolved without fighting. They use the, the, the uh, example of, you know, senior, somebody who jumps over a desk at everything. Uh, but I'll tell you, in something that didn't quite make the final cut of my column, but it's really interesting to, to just paint a kind of a, a real difference between the two. Um, back when Amazon, you know, when that big, uh, when all the negotiations were going on over Amazon coming to Johnston, yeah. there there was a moment where, the mayor, where mayor policy senior was kind of so frustrated with uh, specifically Stephen Pryor, the Commerce Secretary at the time, that they they sort of stopped talking, uh, and and Junior kind of stepped in and said, "Hey, let's let's resolve this. Let's you know get down you know on paper exactly what we want," and you know the the. The narrative had always been, oh, this, you know, this is a win for everybody, but that got rocky for a while. And at least, you know, what what Mayor uh Paul Cena Sr. says is that it was Joe Jr. who got that thing kind of back on track. So it shows you he's a guy who I think isn't overly emotional, but is also somebody who, you know, understands we're not gonna let, you know, big things fall apart because I don't like you, or right. because, you know, because of, you know, silly kind of petty um uh, beats and, and, and what's interesting where that segues into is Governor Dan McKee a no show at yes the, at the inauguration ceremony, and then you know in in the fashion that the Policinas do uh, understand very well, they sat Helena folks right on stage alongside all the mayors. Wow, uh, to, you know, and, and that was let me tell you something, John, you know those those swearing in ceremonies you know how these things can be they're boring it's you know it's a lot of the same old same old that room five six hundred people in the room i'm my phone lit up with wow elected officials people on the stage were texting me saying do you believe this uh and and everybody took notice that that governor mckee wasn't there and that helena folks uh was right there alongside everybody else
0: and, and why is that to dim out Other than, I'm pretty sure Ashley Kalis won Johnston. She did win
3: Johnston. Uh, you know, I think it, I went about this last spring, in fact. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there was a real uh, kind of falling out between the Policinas and yeah. Governor McKee that, you know, I, I think probably in some ways because he didn't think, because I think Policina Sr. didn't think Ashley Kalis could win the race. Uh, You know, they kind of came back home in the general election. They were, you know, they endorsed Governor McKee. But, you know, there was a falling out. There are two kind of factors there. One was, Policino Jr. was working for Governor McKee and, uh, you know, wanted to run for mayor. And there were some disagreements, I think, internally, just about, you know, what his role was for the governor. Uh, He was not planning to leave the 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 administration as early as he did remember he had no no serious primary i mean this was not a you know it wasn't like he had to spend the summer like uh, let's say breath smiley you know actually running a campaign all you know the entire every day 24 hours a day um and then, and then I think the other, I think the other factor. Well, so so there's yeah. So I think Policina you know, junior there, and then uh, and Policina senior's challenge or issue. and he's been very public about this. Is he thought the governor had kind of moved a little too far to the left? Yes. Um, and he was very frustrated. I mean, he gave a quote to me in my column where he said, "He'll never leave the Democratic Party. He'd rather fight with all the progressives." Yeah, I love that. Uh, uh, which is a funny, which is a very funny line, but. That was, you know, to be honest with you, I thought that was kind of a, you know, oh, late spring, early summer kind of fight that will go away. And, right. You know, this thing has held on. How? And let's be clear. You know, Governor, this was not Governor McKee had something suddenly came up. He was invited to the inauguration. He was the only one of the statewide officials How? Who, who who didn't RSVP. Everybody else said, look, you know, Cicilline and Magaziner were in Washington. In fact, I was in the room interviewing them when Seth, Seth Magaziner called both of them back to oh. uh And so, you know, everybody was calling. He was the only one that did not an RSVP. And then there was still some thought, oh, of course he's going to show up. You know, he's, he's a mayor's guy. Even if he doesn't like the mayor, he's a mayor's guy. Uh, but he, he no-showed. And then right on stage, Helena Folks.
0: Well, Dan McGowan, and again, folks, speaking of Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe, Dan McGowan, I, number one, I think that speaks volumes of, of uh, Governor McKee, where his mindset is right now. And it, I think it's consistent with the, the individual. I think it was really interesting, the a folks thing on stage. And then you see in the photo, there's also uh, Attorney General Peter Narona. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Dan McGowan of the Boston Globe right here on the John DiPietro Show. 1524 atwood avenue in johnston that's right in the atwood medical center and also 5750 post road east greenwich online at net. we're speaking with dan mcgowan of the boston globe dan um, you and i had talked about josh saul uh, you tell me housing secretary it I, it doesn't seem to matter of if I'm getting the sense that this could be a matter of when that there's a change.
3: Yeah. I mean, the the only thing I could think of that I would say potentially saves his job to some degree is I think governor McKee's got this challenge right now where he's one, he needs to get a lot of directors uh, through the Senate confirmation process. No, there's no one controversial. So he should be able to do that. But there is an element of, you know, I, I think he's the type of per- – the, the governor is the kind of person that's going to say, this is my guy, and, you know, let's let him see it through. The problem is is that he, the guy continues to step in it. You know, my colleague Alexa Gagas has been covering yeah. this the whole way. And sometimes you say, okay, you know, you, you filed a report late or you – you know, so you, could, you could argue that these things, you know, are relatively minor in the grand scheme of things, except for the fact that this isn't just, you know – Uh, a reporter, a couple of, a couple of reporters who are, you know, angry or, you know, pushy at this housing secretary. I mean, you've got the Speaker of the House, um, never, you know, picks a fight with anybody, uh, at least not publicly. And Speaker Shikarchi has been very critical. Uh, We obviously know Senate President Ruggiero has been critical. And so, it does feel like the clock is really ticking on this guy's, you know, career. But again, I hold out a little bit of just the caveat, I guess I would say is sometimes the governor kind of looks at this and says, I don't know anybody else who's going to really want this job and he's going to listen to me and kind of, you know, is going to be willing to, um, you know, follow this. The challenge is people always say, you know even i think a lot of the calls that alexa is getting is you know how come you didn't put one of the you know the executive directors of any of these like you know the big nonprofits in the state and i think the answer to some degree is the, the thing is, is that they, there may be more qualified people, but are there people who are willing to, you know, play the bureaucratic game, you know, right. listen to the governor? Because it, the governor certainly doesn't want to put somebody in there who's going to say, yeah, we're not doing enough. This is terrible. No, that, they want someone to defend the administration even more than solve the housing problem.
0: Dan to, and, and also, I believe, uh, are we going to start to see state house General Assembly now start to get some oversight into. Uh, again, I look at this somewhat, somewhat as a self inflicted wound with the mckee administration because it's it's not like that they, they don't have any money to spend. It's just a matter with seemingly where the money's going.
3: Yeah, I think you are. I mean, the challenge with the with the both the there's a the House and there's the Senate oversight committees, and you know, I would I would say that their records over the last couple of years I would argue is pretty spotty. So in some cases. You know, at the time for, for, for the last couple of years, he's no longer the chair, but for the last couple of years on the Senate side, you had Luda Palma, pretty straight shooter, but would sometimes get really bogged down with, you know you, you, some of those Providence schools oversight hearings, they became really, you know, here's the, what the Union is telling me and let me ask all these questions. I think similarly on the House side, you know, sometimes they have really good kind of accountability hearings, I think back to, When they were really, you know, holding uh, Governor Raimondo accountable over that, the transit, uh, I think it was the MTM transit, things like that. But then sometimes personalities kind of get in the way and it becomes, you know, a little bit of a debacle. So it's going to be interesting to see how these oversight committees kind of handle, particularly, I think, the housing situation, I would think the Providence School situation as well. Um, because, you know, you, what, what you want them to do is actually hold the governor to account. What you don't want to see is this just become kind of a political fight because then the governor kind of wins. The governor gets to say, no, no, no. You know, this is ridiculous. These people are just out to get me. Um, and, and, and so, you know, if, if, if it goes that way, you know that route. That's where you'll see him double down. I think. Uh, so I'm kind of waiting to see how the two committees are going to really handle this,
0: folks. Again, we're speaking with David Gunner of the Boston Globe, and and by the way, the Boston Globe has tremendous coverage on. I mean, it seems like the, the Patriots. Uh, a lot of coverage on the fact the Patriots seemingly that the crafts and uh, Bill Belichick need to make some adjustments. There's also remarkable coverage, and I saw some of your colleagues. Uh, regarding the Cohasset Missing Woman. I was going to say, case. we're just
3: chasing you on Cohasset because <laughs> you're everywhere. <laughs> Anna
0: Walsh and uh, Brian Walsh, remarkable, especially the Globe. Uh, i read every word. I've been reading everything they do in the background. But Dan McGowan, I want to come back to the Governor McKeon moment. Just um, he, He's keeping a very low profile. I mean, I know the year just started, but he won the election really quiet, um, out of sight except for obviously the problem with the homeless people in the front part of the statehouse. Then he had the inauguration. And now they've just announced. I mean, I, I know Olivia DeRoche. I'm happy for her. I sent her a, a note, but I don't understand. And I'm not being critical, but he he has a communication problem and he, he again hired a, another television person who really smart and I I see on in stories and so forth, but she she has no experience with this. Yeah, and this is a job, the, 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 the hard part about the, the
3: communications role, and for listeners, I think sometimes you think, you know, a lot of people just think, oh, well, all their job is to do is to, you know, uh, you know shield the public or you know, protect their guy. To some degree, it is true that their job is to protect, you know, the, the principal, whoever it is, mayor, governor, whatever. But I think you're right when it comes to, you know, the, the skilled communications people, and you look at over the years who, you know, who Ramondo had and going back, you know, Link Chafee had Chris Hunsinger, who was somebody who, you know, understood how to, yes. uh, you know, how to craft a story, how to craft a narrative. And I think when you're new in these jobs, it's very difficult. You know, yes, you can communicate because, yes, you've been on camera or, yes, you've, you know, been in print. If you came from, let's say, the Journal of the Globe, but... It, Actually coming up with the narrative and, the, and, and explaining yourself and being willing to, I think the thing that Governor McKee has, to, to my knowledge, I, I think has struggled with ever since he took office is he doesn't have anybody in the room to say, here's what the other side looks at and thinks about this. Right. right. He, you know, you, you say you're going to do X. Well, the way I hear that is, you know, you're you're failing or, or something like that he gets, a, he puts a lot of people around him. Tell him what he, what he wants to hear. A yep. lot of young people who have, you know, who, who again are really thankful. I mean, you got to think about this, the job, the, the difference between what a young reporter makes salary wise and what a communications person makes. I am telling you, you know, we're, we're talking about double the salary, double the sound at least.
0: Yes. At least.
3: Um, and so, if you're somebody who for the first time in your life as a, as a young reporter, I don't care if you're a man or a woman, you know, if you're suddenly making $100,000, $110,000 a year uh, and you were before, you know, couldn't make the rent, uh, it is really hard to go to your boss and say, hey, I think you're wrong here, right? You want the gravy train to roll. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is only natural. And and I think until you get really comfortable and sort of willing to do that, you know, I think it's going to continue to be his challenge. And Governor McKee, every week you and I talk about Governor McKee. He still has not done a particularly uh, large amount of public interviews. Uh, You know, he did the thing with the journal. He did the one with uh, the radio right after he got elected. But that's it. You know, Um, we keep asking others. I know keep asking. Oh, yeah. You're heading into next week. Next week is his budget. State of the state. Probably just the budget address, I assume. Um, And. It's time to figure out what exactly he's trying to, you know, what, what his vision is here, uh, and he hasn't done it through, through the press at all.
0: No, and I, I, this is my opinion. I, I don't, he doesn't enjoy a good relationship with the press. I mean, he's obviously at odds with you guys. He's at odds at Channel 12, uh, not that anyone's done anything wrong. But I, I don't know. And then, you know, to give these speeches of this is our moment and keep to everything else, I, I think it's it's a new person put in a very difficult situation. I go back to your colleague Ed Fitzpatrick with that famous podcast that's still one of my favorite parts of the campaign season. But a lot of Sarone, I that wasn't really her fault. I know she took a lot of heat for that, but um he could have handled it a lot differently. Folks, there's also a good piece. It's interesting, uh, Dan McGowan, you included a roadmap about Megan Hughes, the president of CCRI. I know that Governor Mundo was very high on her. And I noticed she seemed to get like a little more exposure when Governor Mundo was the governor. But she's, she's obviously looked upon very favorably. This is very prestigious what she's been added to.
3: Yeah, she's been added to the board at the Boston Fed, which is, you know, one of the most powerful, uh, you know, kind of business and banking related boards in the country. I mean, they're, they're, you can't get much higher than being on the Fed board. Um, and and so uh, and she's the only Rhode Island, uh, you know, the only Rhode Island kind of representative of that nine-member board and essentially oversees New England. Um, and so it's prestigious. And you're right. The thing about her is actually Megan Hughes, uh, I, I think you hit it on the head. Gina Raimondo hired her, and uh, they they hit it off. They were kind of on the same wavelength as as thinkers and as, um, you know, people who are willing to have – look, there are lots of folks at CCRI, particularly faculty, who uh, do not love, uh, her, you know, Megan Hughes. They, they, right. you know, they think she's changed a lot, There's, you know, a lot of programs. You know she's ruffled feathers over there, but talk about somebody who has I think revamped that college. Yeah. Um. Who ha- you know helped whether whatever you think of uh, the the promise scholarship program. You know what she now it's not something now it's just second nature. Uh, a couple of years later they're not they're never going to cut it now it's you know uh, was able to get that through. She's also on the the chair of the cha- chamber of commerce uh, board of directors in Providence. Wow. I've always thought I, I ask her. You know, every other time I see her, I feel like I say, Hey, any chance you'll you'll run for office someday. Oh. Um, you know, I've always thought she could be somebody who would be, you know, in that realm of the Gina, the Helena Folks kind of right. pro-business democrat. Uh, you know, you'd have the educational background. I've always thought that she could potentially do that. It's uh, um she's always she always brushes it off and she says, You're the only person who, you know, who asks this, but When you're when you're joining all these elite boards, you know, there's only a couple of, of things that's happening. Right. It's one is potentially you're trying to raise your profile for political office or two. And this is could be reasonable, too. Uh, she would be an excellent president of Rick. Uh,
0: yes, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. I'd give her Rhode Island College.
3: I've always thought that that should be something that that should be considered. Now, you you mentioned something just at the beginning of this conversation that is something to watch. She is not Governor McKee's person, um, and and while they, I don't think they they don't, you know, dis- dislike one another. That's always a red flag for me with this administration. That's I think, right. you know, when, when he does, when, when he, when, it, when, when you're seen as a Gina person, when you're seen as somebody else's guy or girl, um, I think, I think it's really hard, but look, Rick has a lot of challenges, as you know, and as I've written about, uh, they could use somebody like a Megan Hughes to really right. come in and, and kind of whip things into shape.
0: Imagine and so forth. One, one note I want to leave on McGowan before we talk about roadmap, is just, you know, it's it still baffles me that uh, New England Tech—that's that, a for-profit college. It's also really expensive for kids that want to take courses. For the life of me, I don't understand. And one time, I did have a conversation with Governor Raimondo that when she had a, a governor come in, and I think in Kentucky, the the free, you know, promise scholarship, whatever it is, that's for the technical part. What Rhode Island really needs. So, if you want to go in and learn the trades, which a lot of kids coming out of Rhode Island High School, that's not a bad decision. They have to pay a lot of money to go into New England Tech. I have no idea why. It would make so much more sense if you could go to like a CCRI or Rhode Island College if they had that free element of the technical training. So, I, I don't know what to make of that. It's kind of built differently. Um, kids go to CCRI, what are they taking? A philosophy class when they're. They can't even do, you know, 11th well, for English. It makes John, no sense at all.
3: You're, and not to, you know, for listeners into the, you know, higher education talk, but this is a, exactly the conversation that I think has been happening at CCRI and needs to happen at Rick as well, which is you have to move, and, and again, I think CCRI is done better than Rick at this. You have to move your higher ed, um, you know, philosophy into a place of, you know where are people going to be able to get work afterwards, right? Yes. And, and I think yeah. this is why at Rick you're you're starting to see some of the programs are being cut. Some of these you know things that are the kind of the liberal arts education things. Again, it makes professors crazy because they would say you need a well-rounded student. I get all of that, but the truth is we need more students to graduate from there and from CCRI and that are ready to whether it's work at an Electric Boat or you know, work at any of these places that have jobs available right now, good paying jobs. Um, and, and I th- again, I think Megan Hughes has done a pretty good job trying to push in that direction. I think Rick needs to do a much better job.
0: But again, I uh, mention this all the time. Weekdays, I start my morning. I read Roadmap. I was delighted to see from my alma mater, Xavier Trust, another Hendrickson guy with the uh, national championship with Georgia. You know, what a brilliant decision he made in deciding to go to Georgia. I remember speaking to people at the school the day that he, signing day, decided to go there, because there was interest in him from uh, Michigan and also well, from Alabama. Went, yeah. He could have gone anywhere, actually. And then also the, the scoop on, on Megan Hughes and a lot more. Dan McGowan, it's a new year. If you'd be so kind to extend the offer for anyone that's listening, folks. It arrives in your inbox. It's F-R-E-E, which means it's from me and everyone in Rhode Island, and you could start getting Roadmap tomorrow. <laughs> I like that. Free for you and everybody in Rhode
3: Island. It's perfect. Yeah. Uh, folks, and here's another thing I'll say. Over the, over the years or over the last year and a half that I've been able to promote this uh, you know, roadmap every day, I think occasionally I'll get emails from people who say, I signed up, but then I stopped getting it. Here's what I'd say. We fixed our system pretty well. So if you don't get it and you've tried before, try it again. Shoot me an email, blank email to rinews at globe.com news at globe.com. I will sign you up. You will start getting it first thing tomorrow morning and you'll get it every weekday uh, for as long as I'm alive.
0: <laughs> Folks, he is Dan McGowan, columnist for the Boston Globe. Again, Dan, I really enjoyed your column with uh, the, the Johnston politics and the mayor. Great job as always. We'll talk to you again. Keep
3: up the good work, John. Thanks so much. See you.
0: Thank you, Dan. 580 1852 Limitless Outdoors. Dream, build, enjoy. To the John DiPietro show, it's AM 1380 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at our website, DiPietro.com. Remember, weekdays. 11 to 2, but visit the website, petro.com That's the best way to reach me. There's a direct link, contact John. We also have all our sponsors right there. We have unique, original reporting, stories, videos. Also, all our links to social media, whether it's Facebook, when we do Facebook Live, or YouTube, or Twitter. It's all right there at the website, petro.com And then remember, once you're there, you can also visit the shop, we have great gifts that you can get. It's a happening, all links to the show. Plus, if you ever miss any part of the show, it's all right there under radio show, right there. Folks, it all starts by logging on at depetro.com and on the left hand side, you can always listen live. Again, all our links, everything begins and ends right there at the website, depetro.com.